Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. They say that winning ugly is the sign of champions. So why does it feel like there are more concerns about Manchester City's performances this season than there are positives? After all, Pep Guardiola's team are still unbeaten going into the international break and are just about better off now than they were at this stage last time around. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast where we'll be trying to provide all the answers to the talking points of the last seven days. What's happening with Leroy Sane? Why is City being led a merry dance because White Hart Lane isn't built yet? What on earth were they thinking when they put orange and purple together for that new third kit? With analysis of the win over Newcastle and a look at the youth players coming through and Howard Hocking branching out into storytelling, yes, you heard me right, there's not a minute to lose. I'm your host, Sam Roscoe, and I'm joined in the studio by City fan and blogger Richard Burns and ESPN's Jonathan Smith. All right, fellas? Very good, how are you? Yeah, I'm well. Looking forward to uh, to chewing over the fat. Now it's uh, an international break. We were chatting, weren't we, off air, saying they tease you, don't they? They entice you in and then... All of a sudden, it's no football England, Spain. It's a dreadfully placed international break. Just when you've got the season underway, it's well annoying. What, what's this competition that England are in these days? What's it called? Um, the Nations League. The Nations League, yeah. Don't ask me any more about it. It sounds like some sort of Marvel creation, doesn't it? Rather than a, <laughs> a football tournament. I think all international fixtures are badly placed. Just, just get rid of them. Let's have a World <laughs> Cup every four years and... And yeah. that's it. I'm up for that. I mean, that one in April is the absolute pits, isn't it? <laughs> well, we've caught John yeah. in a good mood. Jonathan, <laughs> sorry. So we've caught Jonathan in a good mood today. Anyway, uh, let us take a look <laughs> at all things Manchester City, starting with that victory over Newcastle United. 2-1 in the end, but it took two excellent strikes to, to break down that stubborn defence that, that Newcastle brought with them. Sometimes it's it's the moments of individual quality, isn't it, that can that can turn a tie, and that, that proved on uh, on Saturday. Well, yeah, I mean, we had two of them, didn't we? The, um, the the Sterling goal at the start was, to me, I thought we were we were on for another romp, sort of like the Huddersfield game after that one, because it was it was absolutely fantastic. It was it, it was a good play building up to it. The way he shifted and, and made the space for himself was fantastic. And then he, um, well, the finish is there's not a whole lot to say about it other than. He couldn't have really done any better with it, could he? He had time to think about it. His placement was fantastic as well, Judge Power. So that was absolutely magnificent. With the Kyle Walker one, I mean, it, it just that one took me by surprise. You know, like normally when when somebody shoots in from distance and you have that sense it's going on target and you there's almost like it feels like it's hanging in the air. I know that was low, but you feel like <laughs> it's it's travelling for ages and you have that excitement of is it going to go in? Is it not? And I didn't really even get excited by the Walker one until I saw the net move because I just had no sense that Kyle Walker was possibly going to score from there. So it was it was absolutely about um, about the individual magic one at the one at the start and then obviously the winner from from Walker. Um, it was brilliant. I mean, there the for as much as the game wasn't fantastic and it wasn't a great performance, um, those kind of moments are. The joy of live football, aren't they? Seeing seeing that live, seeing Kyle Walker score from distance, it was uh, that was enjoyable. Going back to that first goal, Raheem Sterling showing no signs of that goal scoring that he showed last season, easing up, is he? Yeah, and it's interesting that um, his, his goals this season have come when he's been on the left hand side, cutting in, um, and it just gives Pep more options, really, doesn't it? Now that Mares is here. Um, I didn't think Mahrez had particularly a great game, but Sterling can play out on the left, cut inside. He's done it twice now. The one against Arsenal, probably even better. But it was just a really nice finish. It, you know, the keeper had no chance. Just killed it nicely into the corner. So, yeah, a good start from him and a different, different to what we saw from him last season in terms of his goals, which were all getting in the end of low crosses, particularly from Sane. The strike from Kyle Walker. 
as impressive as it was, you, you know, when he when he was lining up for it, admit it, you, you didn't want him to, to take the shot from there, did you? Um, well, he was his first goal for three years, wasn't it? So <laughs> I'll leave it at that, I think. I'd have loved to have known what was going through Pep's head at the time. Oh, no, Kyle, Kyle, Kyle. Yeah, yes! You know, something... I think everyone in the stadium was doing that, really. Don't shoot... Oh, what a goal! <laughs> One of them, isn't it? Um, whilst we're, we're, you know, mentioning Kyle Walker, what's going on with his socks? Yeah, it's a bit, bit odd, isn't it? Yeah. I saw there was a bit of a... Someone made an appeal for uh, to, trying to encourage children not to do it to their, to mm. their socks, not to copy him, but... I don't know if it helps. What is actually it, is it? Is it holes cut into it? Is that? I, I don't think it's something to do with his calf muscles. Just trying. It's a bit of a. You can try and ease the pressure on I his was calf say, muscles. You can and, sort of okay. understand if you know his socks are a bit tight. But I think. Have you ever had that when you you know you put a tight pair a, a tight pair of football socks on you get cramp? I remember the last time I Never put football socks oh. on. I played football, so I can't relate. I think I think someone said it's absolute rubbish, but um, <laughs> if it works for him, then just carry on doing it. Yeah, um, I thought at first when I saw it, I thought oh, we need a new washing machine. <laughs> Any concerns about the defence? One chance and, and one goal for Newcastle. It, well, I thought Newcastle were was were quite well organised. I, I quite like Rondon actually. I know he doesn't score that many goals, but I think he's I think he's a good striker to play against teams like City in that he he works extremely hard and he can hold the ball up well um, and he can pick a pass and. It, he just was a bit of a nuisance all afternoon, and they didn't really. That was Newcastle's only, only real chance. But it was quite well worked. Um, but the concern was probably the end, the end part of the goal. Um, from where I was sitting, you know, you could see Yedlin sprinting from thirty yards. Uh, Gabriel just couldn't keep up with him. In a way, it's 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 not it's not his role, is it? To to you know, it was it was good of him to to sort of be around. To be alert to it, but the the one concern was that sort of Mendy wasn't really switched on to what what was happening, and should probably have been someone should be patrolling that centre spot, stroke back post, cutting out that cross. So I don't think, yeah, I don't think it was a great goal to concede at all. Well, this is Pep Guardiola speaking after the win over Newcastle. The goal we conceded, we defended very, very, very bad. We poured the way we defend that goal, but in general, we conceded. Not one more chance and against that team than they leave for the counter-attack, for one action, for one mistake, for the set-pieces. We concede again few set-pieces, I think no one corner, no few free kicks. And that's why our, our performance was quite good, especially in the second half when we didn't concede, uh, let them run. And we create enough chances again, so the game was, was, uh, was quite, quite good and... Okay, we have one title before the international break and 10 points to 12 after win last season. Always the start, it's always it's a little bit how we're going to react. And playing in against Arsenal involves a way, so it's a good result. So, so far I'm so, so delighted and satisfied for the guys. Pep, Leroy Sane not, not in the squad today. What, what's the thinking behind that? Well, last, last game, Phil Foley was not in the squad. It was so so sad from Phil. Like I'm so sad to Leroy now, but we have a squad. But sometimes they have to to leave because we have six strikers, and 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 I decided to play with two strikers. We have two wingers plus another one in the bench, and that's why we decide this game don't be there and try to work hard again, and and the next games will be ready to play. Pep, are you completely happy with Leroy's attitude? Yeah. On and off the pitch, you are. Yes. You've yeah. got no worries at all about or about about his performance last week at Wolves. Well, I played central minutes. He tried. He was not precise, but he tried. I mean, they know me. They convince me. I'm satisfied. The moment they they run and they do everything, the mistakes about the ball, take a decision, is part of the process. So it's no problem. Get your hands on an exclusive Blue Moon podcast badge, bottle opener or mug by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon podcast. Pep Guardiola speaking to the media after the match. There was no Sani at all in the squad. Uh, and there have been rumours that Guardiola hasn't been happy with his attitude, but they were swiftly not back in, in that press conference. I mean, what do you think about the, the whole Leroy Sani situation? 
Um, well, I'm not convinced at all by Pep's, by any suggestion that there's uh, not been a problem with his training. Now, how deep that goes, whether it's uh, a problem with his attitude, per se, you know, sort of full stop um, that they're not Im impressed with, or whether it's a, a very much a short-term thing where he's had a bad couple of weeks or he's not been... Um, I, I think Pep sort of made the comment that he didn't have a great pre-season, which he said last year as well. Um, so whether they're concerned um, in a in a more long-term sense, um, I don't know. But there's, there's clearly a, a problem with uh, his application or City's view of his application so far. Um, I think I think more telling than Guardiola's comments were I think Gabriel Jesus made some comments about um, you know the rest of the team knowing how good Sané is and the the hope that um, he'll be back to his to his best soon. And it, it wasn't. You know, it, it was far from saying he's not putting the effort in, but it also, it didn't quite read to me like the uh, unconditional support that you might expect from your teammates or that a player might have got last season. It was a little bit more um, sort of he knows what he needs to do, or at least that's, that was my interpretation of his, of his, uh, of his comments. Um, and and w quite frankly, we for as good as our squad is, you we need a... Leroy Sané at his best because it's when you think of him towards the end of last season the way he was cutting across teams coming from out wide and running through the middle of teams he'd added, he'd added so much to his game and he was really taking games by the scruff of the neck that starting a season with that momentum having well having completely disappeared um, it's a real shame because at his age now in his stage of development you want to see a full season of, of Sané at his at his absolute best because he's a he's a ferociously talented player, um, but at the moment, all the suggestions seem to be that his attitude isn't quite where it needs to be. And I suppose, depending what kind of personality he is, he can either use this to sulk and um, and not take heed of the warnings that he's being given by taking out the squad completely, or uh, <coughs> he can take it as the the kick up the backside that it it would seem to be, and look around him and see all the opportunities that he's got at City and remember what he's earned by working hard up to this point and, um, and get back into gear. Because nobody expects him to be brilliant every game. He's a young player and he's allowed to make mistakes, but it, you can't drop your attitude and um, Pep won't let him. Do you think it's a bit of a hangover from that, that World Cup decision? It shouldn't be. City sent 16 players to the World Cup. Leroy Sarney wasn't one of them. Uh, he was left out. That should that should be the warning to him. That's when he should be reacting. I think um, one of the other pertinent things about it, though, as well, that I, I would imagine, I might be wrong, but that I would imagine is in Pep's thinking here, is it is laying down a very early marker that doesn't just speak to Sane, but speaks to the rest of the squad. Because if he's not pulling his weight in training or his attitude isn't there, the rest of the squad will see it. We've seen over and over, well, I say over and over again, twice before, that um, City's title defences haven't been great. It's been admitted by players since then, um, not least by Vincent Company, that the attitude around the squad and the hunger hasn't been there. Um, Peppers spoke a lot about it. Um, he has a great record himself of defending titles. He did it back to back at, um, at Bayern Munich, although he did it three times. It was four on the on a run for them for a club that hadn't defended a title in ten years. He's got a chance now to to do that with City, and he's not going to let anybody slack off. And so, getting this message into Sane, one of his most important players, getting this in early, um, I think also serves as as a message to the rest of the squad, um, and it's a I think it's a pretty powerful message. Some fans were disappointed with the performance, but Newcastle did the same to Spurs and Chelsea, who had to, to grind out wins against them. Perhaps do you feel it's, it's more Newcastle's defensive display than City's woes going forward? I think Newcastle's becoming one of those games that which are, are actually one that you don't look forward to mm. when you see the fixture list come out. I mean, I was at St James's uh, over Christmas last, last year, and that was one of the worst games I've ever been to. Um, I mean, from the kickoff. They laid the ball back to Shelby. Hmm. He shot from 50-odd yards, and then the whole Newcastle team retreated back into their own half. And they didn't have another. They, they didn't mount another attack for another 20 minutes. It was absolutely embarrassing. Embarrassment of a performance. Now, I don't think they were that bad when they came to the Etihad, and I don't think they were that bad in uh, in Saturday's game. I thought they were well organised, 
particularly after watching the game against Huddersfield a couple of weeks before, I think they were a little bit more, they were better organised and offered more of a threat. But, well, I mean, we all know the story with Newcastle, don't we? That lack of money. <laughs> and, uh, and Rafa Benitez, he's a good manager and he's trying to cut his cloth to suit, to try and do the best that he can. But, yeah, Newcastle, uh, uh, these games to get through, aren't they? Mm. Um, Riyad Mahrez's <coughs> performance came in for some criticism from the stands. Do you think he just needs a goal to sort of kickstart his City career? Oh, he needs he needs a um, a good performance, I think. Which I suppose dead easy to say when we're talking about why he's not <laughs> performing well. Um, yeah, maybe a goal would help. I think at the moment. Um, He's just not hit the ground running, has he? I, I'm convinced that he's going to be a very, very good signing. He's, um, his, some of the things that we have seen from him, his first touch is good. I think he has. I think we, you can see a little bit that his understanding is already growing with the team. I don't think his, his movement's terrible, but I think his decision-making at the moment hasn't been... Um, it hasn't been great, really. I think there's times when he could release a pass sooner and instead he's, he's dithered on the ball a little bit, not quite sure of himself, or maybe the right option was to beat a man and he's not tried to do that. Um, and I think he's maybe just in a bit of a uh, a bit of a hinterland at the moment of, of not really committing to... I don't know, not committing to decisions when he's on the ball. Um, I don't think he's been... I don't think he's been dreadful... But I suppose the nature of somebody coming in for, for 60 million quid these days, you expect, people expect results very, very quickly, don't they? So I I want to see him keep starting games, to be fair, because I want him to grow into the team and there's, there's a whole lot of talent there. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe a goal or crucial assist or just a little bit of magic that, that gets fans up off the feet will, will settle him down. But Pep's spoken very highly of what he's seen in training and um, I, I've... I don't really question at this point that he's he can be a very important member of that starting eleven. Well, it is time to move on, and the breakthrough of Phil Foden last season captured a lot of fans' imaginations. For this season of the Blue Moon Podcast, we're going to take a more regular look at the younger players at City and how they may fit into the first team if they fit into the first team in the future. David Mooney's been speaking to Sean Blinkhorn, whose work involves analysing the club's youth setup. The way the registration rules work, I've you know, when I sit down and I'm having a, a jolly old time before the, the start of the season, I often sit and. Uh, have a look at how where, where the squad is in line with the registration rules. So you've got your 17 foreign, let's call them foreign players, basically uh, foreign trained. Um, and we, we City have actually gone into this season one down, which I think is a bit of an oversight for fighting on all the fronts that we are at the minute. But that's more of a short-term problem. In, in the long term, you know, the 17's spaces are full. The 17, uh, sorry, the four association trained spots are full. And then, well, if Sterling sticks around, and then there's the four homegrown players that we've never actually had any use for, really, since, well, probably since Michael Richards left, correct me if I'm wrong. But um, I think for a, long, a longer-term view of the, of the squad and how we can really take the squad to a next level and really compete on all fronts, I think that's where we need to look. Uh, I think Real Madrid, who won it last year, their uh, backup keeper is fills up one of the four homegrown slots so you know that that frees up just bravo space in the 17 um they've also got uh, nacho and vasquez just quality players the, you know the investment in in their academy has as as as, uh, has grown for them over the years which is great for them and i think that's where we need to look i think the club are starting to do that they realize with the buyback system that uh, you kind of spending extra on players to bring them back. It doesn't really matter. The money's not really going to run out at City. You know, we could spend. You know, United spend a hundred million on Pogba because all that matters is that homegrown slot to you know to increase the the quality of the squad. That is more important to them. So I think that's what City are doing with with the buyback. If we have to spend ridiculous amounts bringing players that that we developed back. Then so be it. You know, it's just it's just too important to have those those four squad spots. Well, I was going to say, take someone like Pablo Maffeo, for instance. That that could apply to him. Yeah, I think so. I think I think Pablo was good enough to play for us at the time. I thought he was good enough to play for us when he went out on his final loan to Girona. Um, he's a fantastic player. We've got a, a history of 
so far of uh, developing very good right backs and then you know, booting them off. You look at the way Trippier performed in the World Cup this summer. I, you know, there's there's some of us who would have told you that back in 2008 when they won the World Cup. He's a fantastic player. He's always had that kind of edge to his game. Obviously, he's developed much more since then. Um, so again, it's happened again. It, it, there's another there's another kid I quite like called Demiko Dehaney, another right back. He's he's gone off to pastures new. Uh, Maffeo is probably the best of the lot, I'd say, in terms of where he was when he left us. And he was fantastic for Girona last year. He was a mainstay. Uh, you know, we, we loaned them Douglas Luiz and Alex Garcia, and Pablo Maffeo was the one who played all year. It's, uh, I'd imagine that's what's going to happen in the future. I don't think he'll stay away for too long. Now, when we look at, at the first team now, we've got the likes of, of Brahim Diaz, Phil Foden, kind of skirting around the edges. Uh, fans, you can you can kind of understand why fans are a little bit upset not to have seen more of them, but do you, do you understand why they're not getting as much time as, as the fans would like? It, it, uh, you know, don't don't get me wrong on this. It'd be great to see them both more, especially Foden. You know, when he, he came on for his cameo against Huddersfield the other week, and you could tell it was like he, you know, it's like he's played in this squad all along. It's, he's a, he's a fantastic player who is ready. The the issue, I'd say, with him at the minute is is physically. You know, you, you look at him and he still looks like a child. He's still really slight. Um, which can be a bit of an issue in the hustle and bustle of the Premier League, I think. I think he's he's kind of being protected a little bit on that front. You know, one or two. He's already had a couple of knocks already, actually. Uh, I remember at Leicester last season and, and a couple more since. So there's that element. And then also, when he did start a game, the charity shield, he cramped up on 70 minutes. So I just don't think he's quite ready there as an athlete yet. And that could be the thing that's holding Foden back. As far as Diaz goes... Diaz to me still looks as raw as he was when he was 15 years old playing for the EDS. He's still making the rash decisions and you know we're really exciting. He gets the ball and he runs at defenses. It's it's exciting to watch, but I'm not quite sure he'll be trusted as much as Foden would be if he, if his body was there. If if you get what I mean, so it might be a bit of a waiting game uh, on Foden. Um, Diaz obviously with the contract situation might not even might not even come to fruition, but Foden it will be a waiting game I think. And we've seen this season on the first team level. You know, you've got Aymeric Laporte and John Stones forming a, a great centre back partnership. You know, Nicholas Otamendi's not had a look in yet. Vincent Company's been in and out of the team. Um, where does that leave Eric Garcia? Well, on your question, the, there was a line on the recent All or Nothing documentary that really stuck out to me. It was, it was in the boardroom, and it was a, a couple of the members of the board. They were talking about uh, the squad structure. I think it was approaching January this year um, before we signed Laporte and they said something to the effect of uh, are we, so we're happy to go with three strong quality defenders company and a young one the young one at the time was Tosin but I think that kind of showed it was a nice little insight to how they're thinking the club you know the, the company has the quality but and it, it's good to hear that from them it was really good to hear that Um so it's it's more or less the same situation as we know going into this year. Although Tosin, it's time to move on and show what show what he's got in a lower at a lower level. Eric Garcia, he has the qualities to be that young one, but actually be trusted to have game time. In my opinion, the the type of thing that that you'd expect to see from a defender under this system is the obvious, you know, his, his technique, his, his quality on the ball, his ability to bring it out and pass it as, as good as anyone on the pitch. But there's, there is a there is a sizable goal threat to him as well. He's In his first season for the under-18s, he, he always seemed to be to be popping up, which is a thing that, especially with Laporte's goal the other week, it's a thing that we're obviously looking to you know, you need to have qualities all over the pitch, but yeah, I think you also need to be a goal threat. So there's there's a much greater chance of him actually getting game time, which I think it was that's why it was time for for Tosin to move on. He's not had the greatest of starts for the EDS, uh, kind of in and out of the team at the minute after a rough after a rough start. Uh, victories, but victories that were you know six five, six four. Um, but other than that, uh, he won't, or he also wouldn't be able to play in the Champions League this year, which is also a bit of a shame. He doesn't quite qualify for the B list yet, um, 
uh, considering there's usually a dead rubber in that in that competition, especially that's a bit of a shame. Uh, but other than that, I th- yeah, I think there's a chance you'll see him definitely. And just finally, um, obviously there was the injury to to Claudio Bravo in the last few weeks. It uh, it meant that Murich was recalled and, and and came back into the team. Um, what what can City fans expect from him? Arrow, if you've never if you've never seen him. He's absolutely massive for a start, which is always a good start for a goalkeeper. I think he's pushing two metres tall, six foot five, six six. He's, um, but the real important quality that sets him out from the likes of you know Angus Gunn in the past is his ability to to play football. Um, he's obviously he, he made his senior debut for for Nat Brader in that, that one game in his very brief loan spell there. So there's still a lot that we need to see from him. But it's obvious immediately that he trusts him a hell of a lot more than young Dan Grimshaw, who instead of being promoted has been kept at that third spot. I think if Dan ever actually plays for City's first team, we're probably in in a bit of trouble. Um, but he, he's got, like I say, he's got all the qualities uh, without the incredible passing ability of Edison. He has got all the the qualities that you'd expect from a keeper to be at that club. Uh, I, I, I hope he plays. Plays. I hope he plays uh, at Notts County, so we can we can really start to see. But he's an imposing lunatic, to be honest. He, he, he played two games for for Montenegro under twenty ones and got sent off both times uh, before then switching to Kosovo this week. It, it turns out. Um, so he's, he's going to be a hell of an interesting character. I think uh, I can't wait to watch him develop. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. So no match to preview this week, but if you are looking for something City to go and watch, a team of ex-City stars will be taking on a team from Denton West End to raise money for their junior football club. It's taking place at the Abbey Stadium in Gorton, home of Abbey Hay FC. Kickoff is 2pm on Sunday, the 9th of September. Go and check that out. Uh, but what we will have a look at is some of the things that have happened with Manchester City in the news this week, starting with a new kit. The new third kit was unveiled this week. Purple with an orange sash. Fellas, what are your thoughts? I don't think it's really aimed at me, so I'm probably the wrong person to ask. But not, not massively keen. But it's it's not the worst, is it, Richard? Um, it's not a great look. I don't think. Maybe when I see him playing it, it will be different. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a big fan. Maybe when you know we've we've qualified out of the group of the Champions League and we're, we're smashing teams left, right, and centre in the. In the qualifiers and uh, go the, all the way in that purple and orange sash, it might it might take on a, a new lease of life if I you th- like, like the uh, you know the ninety nine Gillingham kit. I think the biggest criticism I can make of it is that I don't have an opinion on it. I can't I can't think of anything to say on it other than I'm not keen. Um, interesting one, but what does inspired by the past and the present mean for the new kit? Is that the slogan? Yeah. Oh, good grief! I don't know. <laughs> Where do you go? I don't know. It doesn't mean anything, does yeah. it? It's a throwaway line. It means absolutely nothing at all. It's not inspired by the past because we've never had that colour combination before. I don't know what it means by inspired by the present because, well, How can the you only be inspired by the present. The only that? present in which we have it is because it's been released now. It's like I don't know. It's like a riddle or something. I don't. <laughs> I don't get it. It doesn't mean anything, does it? They just throw these lines at these things, and it's like it, it's like some random sentence generator. I don't. It doesn't mean anything. Another one in the news this week for Manchester City: the game at Tottenham has been moved to Monday, the twenty ninth of October, after White Hart Lane wouldn't be ready. Uh, the FA wouldn't switch City's home and away fixtures, and Wembley wasn't available on the Sunday because of an NFL game. First of all, is that a fair outcome? No, I think it's uh, I think it's an absolute shambles. Particularly, I think Spurs should take the bulk of the blame, um, but also I think the FA the FA should take some blame as well. There's, there's no reason why they couldn't find a venue for for the game to go go ahead on the Sunday. It's it's unfair. It's just hugely unfair on the fans. It's it's a it's a mess. Um, there's a perfectly good ground there, close by. At, at Arsenal, the the reason that they can't play um, three uh, three different venues is 
What what sort of a rule is that? It's just, it's just a nonsensical rule. Why? It, you should have one venue for the whole season. That should be it. And Spurs should have got got something organised. Yeah. The fact that they've switched, switched Watford games, um, you know, the the, the moving the, this game, they're playing one at Milton Keynes. It's an absolute absolute shambles. The, the um, should... the knock on effect is not just this game. The City, uh, sorry, the United Everton game has been moved for TV. There's there's a likelihood that the City's fourth round of the Carabao Cup game will play, be played on the Thursday, which could then mean the Southampton game is moved to a Sunday. Whoever they play in the fourth round, their game could be moved to a Sunday. It's, it's an absolute yeah. mess. There should be, I mean, I'm speaking um, sort of uh, away from a knowledge of, um, of the FA's rules on this, to be fair, but surely there must be some kind of... Um, allowance to be able to offer to, to enforce some kind of punishment on Spurs for this because it is they are it is their organisational mess that has caused the situation, isn't it? Whether that be because of building, um, you know, buildings not being met on time or whatever at the new stadium, the, the knock-on effect of this for the, the knock-on effect it has on travelling fans who'd already booked tickets, and I know City are putting on free coaches to the game, but it doesn't make up for. Um, for that inconvenience, the time that people now have to take off work if they still want to go to the game, all that kind of stuff. There's got to be some kind of, or, or some way of reprimanding Spurs for the mess that they've caused, whether it be a fine or whatever. I mean, obviously it's not going to be a point deduction, is it, because they won't do that, but there must be. There must be some way of acknowledging their fault in this, or there should be. Yeah, there's a complete lack of forethought and, and risk assessment of what should have been the worst-case scenario, which is coming... Uh, there's talk now of them, they've extended their deal mm. with Wembley into the new year. I, I, when it first uh, happened a couple of weeks ago, there was talk about that this game might be in jeopardy at the new stadium. I spoke to someone at Spurs, and they said, well, Spurs aren't saying anything at the moment, but I'd be absolutely amazed if that game <laughs> is, is played there. And, and Spurs have kept quiet over this, but uh, but I mean I think there should be there should be some sort of punishment. But I, I also feel sorry for the for the Spurs fans as well. Of They've course. been messed about, yeah. and the Spurs um, uh, Pochettino must be absolutely furious about mm. the whole thing. Um, it's, well, it's, it's just been so badly managed, and it's an absolute shambles. You'd like to think as well over the summer when you know Pochettino would presumably have had a, a couple of offers to go here to go there. Uh, <laughs> You know, I don't think he's had any offers to come here. That would be very well, ambitious. You know what I mean? Um, you'd have thought that that would have been a massive sort of thing. New stadium, this, that, and the other. It's, it's embarrassing, isn't it? Really? It, yeah, it is. I mean, the, like I say, the, the, the Watford game was switched from uh, home and away last week. Their Carabao Cup game. They're talking about playing it in Milton Keynes. They want this this City game moved. I mean, it's just it's, they should have had the foresight in in June. When the when you make special requests to the FA for fixtures, as City have done in the past uh, for concerts and things like that at the start of the season, or or the uh, the Super League, which is what United United do yeah. for the grand final, don't they? They're always away. You look at what's going on at Wembley. There's there's uh, an Anthony Joshua fight. There's three NFL games. There's there's no way that they could they could they could fulfil the fixtures playing at Wembley. There's there's too much going on. There's too much going on there. They should have come up with a better alternative. Well, it is going to be at Wembley. Are there going to be any pitch worries with the NFL game being the day before? I think City are concerned about it. Um, I, I, I don't know how badly it will, how bad the pitch will be. I'm sure you know Wembley's obviously one of the best pitches going. They don't play it that often. Um, it'll look a mess, presumably. Presumably they'll have that. Um, All the lines on it. Yeah, Titans at one. <laughs> Titans at one end and leopards at the other end, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, um, and yeah, there's a reason you don't play sport on a pitch 24 hours before another sporting event. It's to try and keep it in the best state possible. They'll, they'll, they'll roll it. I'm sure it won't be that bad. I'm sure City have played them far worse in, in recent years. If City, you mentioned this before, but if City beat Oxford United in the Carabao Cup, they'll be due a tie. That midweek, possibly two games after the the Spurs game, is is it that big of a deal? I mean, you look at the Christmas period; that's kind of what it's like anyway. Um, 
Is well, yeah, this just Christ- another sort of stick to beat Spurs with? Or no, because it- the, the Christmas period it's the same for everyone. I mean, that's the that's the point there, isn't it? Everybody's on the same terms there, and I mean, it's still patent. You know, well, you can still argue it's unfair there because the clubs at the top get through that period easier because easy because they have a better spread of resources, I suppose. Um, but everybody knows what they're getting into at that point. This situation and this potential, I mean, obviously we're assuming here that we get past Oxford, but this this potential um, domino effect of one game affecting the next, affecting the next, affecting the next. City didn't sign up for this. This is, this is a fault caused by somebody else's inaction or action or misjudgment or lack of foresight or whatever. This is being imposed on City through no fault of their own. And People will throw at City. People have a lack of sympathy because of the size of the squad and they should be able to manage these fixtures. But it shouldn't be being imposed on us through no fault of our own. And finally, when it comes to City in the news this week, the Daily Mail's Jack Gorn reports that Guardiola has put in place a new fine system and has banned phones in working areas of the CFA. Analyst sessions, the gym, training pitches, for example, its reported fines are a flat fee and will also cover lateness, all in a bid to maintain last season's standards. What do you make of that from Guardiola? Well, I think we've all watched the uh, All or Nothing uh, series and you get a real sort of sense of what goes on in the background. And um, he obviously thinks that's the best way to get their minds focused on what he sees as a harder season in terms of defending the title. So... um, yeah, it's 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 quite it's quite common now that people have phones and they're constantly you know people like Mendy and Walker are regularly tweeting. We'll spoke to Mendy about it, uh, and he said he was going to sort of he wasn't going to use it anymore around the the academy. Um, yeah, it's what well, it, it's a, it's the small details, isn't it? And uh, Pep's obviously very hot on them. So if he thinks it's a good idea, then he's doing it for a reason. City had a problem focusing on the title defences in 2012 and, and 2014. Could this sort of thing make the difference, Richard? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that it's strictly what makes the difference. I suppose it's it's a constant reminder about being focused, isn't it? And I think... I don't think anybody... If we win the league this year, nobody's going to look back at it and go, well, the final piece in that jigsaw was banning the use of phones at training sessions. But... I think when, to me, when I read it, it just seemed pretty sensible. There's none of those places where um, where Jack's article says that the phones have been banned. There's none of them where you think, bloody hell, that's a bit harsh. Like, they're all, to me, like, well, do they need the phones there? Do they need the phones when they're on the training pitch um, or when they're in the gym or around the academy? I, I don't know. I remember when Pep came in, there was the, the story that he'd banned Wi-Fi, uh, the players using Wi-Fi around the training pitch, and he explained that away as uh, a very good explanation about it was to foster team spirit around not just the playing squad, but around all the members of staff, because he came into a club where the players would be getting the rubdowns by physios or getting injury treatment from physios and they'd be lay on the um, on the, the physio beds or whatever, um, using the phones instead of talking to the physio. And when when Pep gets a chance to explain that kind of thing, it actually just makes good sense. Um, and I suspect this has a fairly similar sort of intention. It's about making sure that people are together and that they're working where they're meant to be working. I don't see a problem with that. Well, it is time to move on, and we're going to take a bit of a break now as it's story time with Howard Hocking. Are you sitting comfortable? Then he'll begin. Tonight I'd like to read to you a charming little story from a book I picked up at the United Megastore sale. It's called Little Gary Potter and the Theatre of Dreams. Little Gary Potter was all comfy in bed underneath his Phil Jones duvet, which his dad said would ward off the demons. Glory Glory Man United was playing on his Deezer account, United's official music partner. Dad had said he would read Gary a bedtime story as Gary was upset 
after hearing that United's glorious and successful manager, Jose Mourinho, could go to prison for something called tax evasion. He didn't know what this meant, but it sounded bad, and Mike Phelan would have to take over. Dad said not to worry, as he had good lawyers. His dad settled down next to him in a chair, only opening the storybook once he had taken a sip of his Casiero del Diablo Cabernet Sauvignon wine. The wine was a smooth, full-bodied Cabernet Sauvignon, with cassis and black cherry flavours, complemented by hints of coffee and dark chocolate. More than a hundred years ago, a man reserved for himself an exclusive batch of his best wines. To keep strangers away from his private reserve, he spread the rumour that the devil lived in that place. Hence the name, Casiero del Diablo, the devil's cellar. Casiero del Diablo were proud to be Manchester United's official wine partner. Son, I want to tell you a story set in the near future. A story of a brave warrior brought to a land to restore a rightful heir, to bring back glory to where it belongs. It's a story about Jose Mourinho. The alleged tax evader, asked Gary, fear in his innocent young eyes. Son, I told you not to worry. Jose will be fine. The money was just resting in his account. Anyway, once upon a time in a land far, far away. Manchester? Yes, Gary, Manchester. A town in the north of England. In a land far, far away. Manchester. There once lived a man of great charisma, a great wisdom, a special one. He went by the name of Jose Mourinho. He was revered by all. He teamed up with a man named Ed Woodward known also as the Equaliser, to bring back the glory days to Manchester United, in association with Adidas, Manchester United's official kit supplier. Now every day Josie would arrive at the crack of dawn at United's training ground in his Chevrolet Corvette Grand Sport to begin a hard day's work. The Grand Sport came with twin airbags, four-wheel drive and the perfect combination of power and handling. Chevrolet were a principal partner of Manchester United. Dad, I don't understand what this has got to do with Jose in the Theatre of Dreams, asked Gary. Just setting the scene, son, just setting the scene. Anyway, Jose was soon in trouble, for the evil lords who controlled his budget provided him with a mere £450 million, which was barely enough to buy three full-backs, two central defenders, an old youth player back for £90 million, a striker and three more midfielders, with barely enough money left over to pay off the legal fees for the physio he'd slandered at his previous club. What was Jose to do? He knew his job and reputation and relationship with his good friend Duncan Forts, depending on defeating his evil foe, Josep Guardiola. Jose had beasted Josep, who was bald and a fraud many times in Spain, a hotter country where they both used to compete. Now it was time to do it all over again, and in the first year that is what he did with three glorious victories, including the definitive measure of success, the Community Shield. Jose was king once more. It didn't last though. Evil forces were at work, determined to smite Jose every turn. Apart from the aforementioned £450 million, he was not being given the funds to compete with the mercenaries across the city. The only response was to try and buy every player City were linked with, ably assisted by Azam, official MUTV partner in Botswana, Burundi, Congo, Ghana, Kenya, Namibia, Malawi, Rwanda, Sierra Leone, Tanzania, Uganda, Zambia and Zimbabwe. Once Alexis Sanchez became available, Josie and Ed sprung into action. Jose flew immediately to Chile to seal the deal, via Aeroflot, Manchester United's official carrier, as organised by regional partner Thomas Cook. Jose felt great, in no small part thanks to Ayland, the official wellness and nutrition partner of Manchester United in China. Next came Fred, who City definitely wanted, but who wanted to join the biggest team in the world instead. Manchester was red, as always. So what went wrong, Daddy? Corrupt referees, players making mistakes, other teams fluking results. There was nothing Jose could do about it, nothing. And the tax thing, Dad? A simple misunderstanding, all sorted. So why did he plead guilty then? Jose accepted the charge, not because he was guilty, which he most certainly was not, but because he was not one to cause a fuss. Daddy, is that why Alexis Sanchez also pleaded guilty in February for the same offence? Gary's dad was getting exasperated now. Yes, Gary, now focus on the real story. Alexis just didn't want to be away from his dogs. 
but Daddy, I thought Jose demanded our respect. I know I'm only three years old, but I failed to comprehend how a man who accepted the tax avoidance charge poked a rival coach in the eye and harangued a female physio for simply doing a job to the extent she had to quit can expect our respect. Is there not a juxtaposition in those situations that hits at the strained relations, not only between Josie and the media, but also the disconnect between club and fans, added the three-year-old. A loud cheer went up from the living room downstairs. Son, son, spluttered Gary's dad. Son, the media hate Jose. You must understand this. Fake news, sad. One day, when you're old enough to play at City's Academy or go to Dab University, you'll understand. OK, but Dad, I thought this story was set in the near future. I know all this. Yes, son, well, I'm getting to that bit now. You see, social media domination and kit sales were not enough anymore. United were the most successful team when considering income minus net spend divided by points gained, as verified by the trustworthy International Centre for Sports Studies, who Jose's friend Duncan had picked as their skewed results suited his agenda. But sadly, there were no trophies for this. Was Jose sad, Daddy? Yes, he was, son. His left-back kept eating burgers, his defenders kept making mistakes, his star midfielder spent most of his time having haircuts and making videos, and players kept leaving to selfishly attend the birth of their children. He locked himself in his hotel suite, leaving off just pizza and UC-1000, proud isotonic drink partner for United in Indonesia. Dad, is this mess of a story really just an excuse for sponsorship placements by United's official partners? Of course not, son. I'm not sure how you could come to that conclusion. That's the sort of rubbish you would never hear on Celsi, official broadcast partner of MUTV and Manchester United in South Africa. United are about playing for the shirt, the glory of playing for the Red Devils, as is this story. That's what's important. Then the kids and the wife, in that order and retweets. It's a story about not having to win all the time, and life not being fair, and sometimes the oil-rich cheating mercenaries winning instead, or God forbid one day, the Scousers. Is that what City are, Daddy? Mercenaries? asked Gary. He did his best impression of a Mancunian accent. Yes they are, yes they are. They play for the money, we play for the shirt. They might as well be Celtic some. You see, the moral of the story is that respect must be earned through success alone and only in England, subject to certain caveats that muddy the waters of what actually constitutes success. Josie has that respect, unlike any other manager in the Premier League, and that is why he's attacked so much. And so, in the near future, Josie had to leave because of unfair attacks. It's getting late now, but next time... I'll tell you how the class of 92 led United back to the glory years where they belonged. And with that thought, I will bid you good night, son. He rose, finishing off his Casiero del Diablo wine, and before turning off the light, weakly dabbed in the direction of Gary, who feigned a smile before turning over and going to sleep with tears in his eyes. Gary's dad merely rocked his way to the kitchen and to a cold, refreshing Budweiser crate of which had arrived that very afternoon from DHL, Manchester United's official logistics partner. He turned on the History Channel and settled down to reminisce about better times. Good night. Hi, this is Nader Manuha. And you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Hear all of our city interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Howard Hawking, reading from the book Gary Potter and the Theatre of Dreams, available from all terrible bookshops now. Time to move on. Unfortunately, it is the final part of the Blue Moon Podcast this week. It is Ask the Panel, all about your questions, that you can get them into us on Twitter, at Blue Moon Podcast, or you can get involved via the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. The first question comes from Greg Rothwell, who's emailed in. An article this week showed that if VAR was being used in the Premier League, City would have maximum points, along with Liverpool, Chelsea and Watford. How worried should we be? by refereeing decisions costing City already this season? Well, I don't th- there's, there's no vendetta against City. They're just bad refereeing decisions, aren't they? That's, that's all it is. Um, 
anyone who's any any side who gets a bad decision against them will should you know should be worried about the the standard of refereeing and and those that get away with it won't won't be. But there's no value in comparing what would happen if there was VAR, is there? I mean, mm. because without being too ridiculous, I mean, that depends on how is VAR being applied. Are we talking about if there was VAR in the way that it was used in England last year in the cup competitions or VAR with its application in the World Cup where the referee can be given advice but doesn't actually have to take it? So we're assuming... It basically, all that needs to say is if the decisions had been made according to the letter of the law and all chances that had come our way and the other club's way as a result of those decisions being made had been taken. Do you know what I mean? There's no guarantee that if you get given a penalty that you score yeah. it, is there? So, and then there's no guarantee that if you score a penalty that puts you 2-1 up. Well, that's the whole pattern of play change. Maybe the other teams start attacking you more and the game changes. So, I, I don't set much by something like that. I mean, it's not... With all due respect to the questioner... Um, because I, you know the report is there, so the question's a valid one. But once you start getting too hung up on that, you're not far off the when the Scousers made the league table based on if every shot that hit the bar had gone in, they'd have won the league. It's like it's 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 it holds no real value to me. There's a there's a value in discussing refereeing decisions, but putting it in the context of if we had VAR, this would have happened, so that would have happened. It just doesn't it doesn't hold water. Trying not to digress too much, but for me. That's an element of the game, poor refereeing decisions. No. That, um, that, you know, you, you have to have the mental strength and and performance to take and to to get over, if you like. Because I know it's cliche, but you know, you see managers, don't you, come out and say, "Oh, they all even themselves up, etc., etc., etc." And and sometimes, you know, you, you're very unlucky if you don't get refereeing decisions going going your way. At times, and I think it's more prominent that they've not gone your way. But I mean, you know, I'm sure there are there are many decisions that have gone City's way in the past, uh, and will do this season as well as there'll be decisions that that don't go their way. But it is an element of the game that I like because it, it brings up these talking points and these discussion points, and you know, it brings up these great songs about referees. <laughs> Um, that we wouldn't have. If, imagine singing about VAR. VAR, VAR, VAR. Well, you wouldn't, would you? i very catchy, that, Sam. This, 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 is my, this is my biggest bugbear with the arguments against VAR, is this idea that somehow the laws not being applied is a good thing and we shouldn't bring in VAR because it's better to have a debate about bad decisions and if to have correct decisions. I mean that. that Don't is... get me wrong. I want the referee to have the you know get the correct decisions every time, but that isn't going to happen because it's human nature. Yeah, but if you can, if you mistakes. can, if you can take a step, and I'm not. This isn't even like a pro var argument. It's just. Mm. But I, I, I don't accept as an argument against it, there's plenty of arguments against it and its application. But I don't accept as an argument against it the idea that it is somehow better. Or, or something inherently good about bad decisions because it allows you to have a conversation about the bad decisions. Why would you have that when you when you can have the laws of the game applied correctly? Yeah, but you, there's plenty of things to talk about, Sam. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, um... Bake Off this week. Did you see that? <laughs> VAR was used in the World Cup final and people still debated the penalty yeah, decision in that. A, so, I you know, we won't to, lose the debate. I was just about to say, although we might lose, you know, when, when VAR eventually does come in, which is, you know, is seeming like it's going to, when it does eventually come in, although we'll lose one element of the game where poor refereeing decisions, etc., there's going to bring a whole new element of the game, which was exciting for the, you know, the first few games of the World Cup when it was being used, but it got a little bit tedious. I thought yeah. there were far too many penalties at the World Cup. I thought yeah. that, was a, that was a big problem. Um, what, inc human incorrectly nature. awarded? I thought some of them, some of them were, yeah, yeah. Um, There's only too many if they're incorrect, aren't there? Yeah, and I thought some of them were okay. in incorrect. I think uh, I thought some some of the handball decisions, particularly, were really were really poor, but they were seemed to be accepted as as good decisions when people were having the the ball hit them from three yards away, and they were. There were two or three examples in the, in the in the World Cup when they were given as penalties. And like, 
I tell you what, what I like about restraining here, aren't we? What I like about that use of it is that at least you know that if the referee looks at a decision from all angles, you can disagree with the decision, but at least you know that the referee has applied his interpretation yeah. of the, the laws with all the information that can be made available to him. That's the key difference to me. Yeah, That's yeah. The de- You can still then debate the decision. The World Cup final decision was debated, the handball. I thought it was a penalty. I think pro- possibly the majority of people didn't. Um, but at least the referee had made that decision with all available information that everybody else around the and world they, had within seconds of the incident happening. And, then they and that really, has to be right. And then they really make themselves an idiot then as well. <laughs> and that, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm with you on that. Like, you know, yeah, you've you've seen all the information that we've seen, every million replays mm. that we get on TV coverage, and you still got it wrong, idiot. And also, just if we just <laughs> we turn into a bit of a VAR debate, one thing I I found frustrating in the World Cup was the <laughs> offside decisions. This idea that it's off or on, and some of them were so minute. It, his little toe was slightly offside. Oh, he's offside. As if, as if that's some sort of advantage. Well, I would. Mm. Like to see would be some sort of a umpire's decision, similar to to the cricket, where you there's a bit of a yeah. But how do bit, you well you whether know, the lost in given... the moment then, aren't you? If you've given the offside and it's anyway, anyway, we we <laughs> totally have strayed. I'm gonna have to rein it in, fellas. Um, even though it was it was probably my fault that we digressed in the first <laughs> place. Um, next question is from Stephen Merlin on Facebook. What's going on with Otamendi? Yeah, it's a good question. He's obviously not. Played him. Has he played? He's not played a minute yet, has he? Um, I think Stones and Laporte are obviously the long-term future pairing. Um, but he was so inspirational. I think season, Stones. You know, Stones has had such a great, great World Cup. He had that not a great second half of the season, realistically. So he's come back very strong. Laporte is still finding his feet at the club. He started the season very, very well. And you know, dare I say. Vincent's going to have uh, you would expect at some point he's going to lose a couple of months with injury mm. you know he has done for the last three or four seasons so if he's there he's, he's still I don't know one of the, is he the best one of the best centre halves still at the club isn't he so you're going to play him so Otamendi's probably fourth choice at the moment and because of those reasons I, I would say Richard, what, what's your take on the Otamendi situation? I think this was, um, a, in the cold light of day, I think this was probably on the cards as soon as Laporte came in. I think, I'm pretty sure we all called it um, last season, that Laporte and Stones at his best, not the second half of the season Stones, but the first half of the season and, and World Cup Stones, Laporte and Stones, I think, were always going to be... Um, I suppose they're preferred too because that is building towards the future. Those two have got a, a decade left in them yet. So um, obviously company and Otamendi don't have that. Um, and I think company as captain and, and still as a, a great defender um, when he's at his best and he's fit, um, I think it was always on the cards that Otamendi would, would slip to fourth choice. Uh, he will play. He will get his chances. We're, we're hopefully going to play... Um, a huge number of games again this season, hopefully upwards of 60. So he's going to get chances within that. But I think maybe at times last season, because as, as, fantastic, as, as fantastic as he was and with him signing his new contract, you start to think, well, that's a first-choice defender for years to come. But then actually you look at the situation around him and how could he be? How could he be with Stones and Laporte both there? Um, that is the future of the defence. They are the the two defenders who most play in the way that Guardiola wants his defenders to play. And Otamendi learnt that, and he was absolutely phenomenal last year. But Stones and Laporte, that is their natural game, and it's tweaking it more than it is wholly learning a new style like Otamendi had to. And so um, they are, I think they are perhaps preferred to for for good reason. And it's a real shame, because Otamendi earned that contract, and he of his own accord, of his own merit, he deserves to be playing a lot of football in this team. But the situation around him is that other defenders are they're above him, I suppose. That's, he, he probably had a sense of that when he signed his contract. He must have known it was a possibility. So. It's a shame. But. 
Unfortunately, that is it for this week's show. But if you want a little bit more Blooming Podcast, there is a mini show available for all our patron backers of $2 a month as a thank you for supporting the show. It's always at least 10 minutes long, though knowing us, we do tend to natter on for longer than that each week. And this week, it's all about City's iconic kits, past and present. If you want to have a listen or want more details on our other Patreon rewards, head over to patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and thank you to my two excellent guests, ESPN's Jonathan Smith. Thank you. And Richard Burns. Thank you very much. Have a great week. Is the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. And this week it is all about City's iconic kids. And this week, kids, cool. City's kids. City's iconic kids. <laughs> and this week it is all about City's iconic. <laughs> I can't do it because I can feel your eyes burning into the side of my head. And this week it is all about City's iconic. <laughs> Stop it, when you t- Right, so we, can we <coughs> we're done, aren't we? I've got two lines to read. Come on. Well, read them, if you make it sound so simple. This week's is all about City's iconic kits. This week, it's all about City's iconic kits. And this week, it's all about City's iconic kits, past and present. If you want to have a listen or want more details on our other Patreon rewards, head over to patreon.com forward slash Podcast.